to the news magazine on the America Out Loud Network. I'm Alana Friedman, and this is The Friedman Report. Welcome to the news magazine on the America Out Loud Network. I'm Alana Friedman, and this is The Friedman Report. Well, of course, the big story of the week, and just about the only story that anyone is talking about, was the killing of Iran's terrorist-in-chief, Qasem Soleimani. Before I get into this, though, I want to make it clear that this man was a monster. He was evil incarnate. He was personally responsible for the deaths of thousands of people and the brutal wounding of many thousands more. This man did not deserve to live. And yet, in Iran, among his own people, the members of the IRGC, the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, he was charismatic. They loved him. And thousands showed up to mourn him at his funeral on Saturday in Iran. But in Iraq, they danced in the street, celebrating his death. Clearly, he was both loved and hated, but mostly hated, I think. And his death, most probably saved the lives of many hundreds of Americans whom he was planning to murder. At the time of his death, he was planning for a massive series of deadly attacks against American targets. The attack on the U.S. Embassy in Baghdad may have been an early part of the plan, only it failed, which may be why he flew from Lebanon to Iraq four days after the embassy attack, and minutes after he landed that night, he died. Soleimani was a strategic and tactical mastermind for the terrorist activities of the Shia militias and proxy terrorist organizations that Iran funded and supported. He traveled widely around the region, visiting organizations like Hezbollah in Lebanon and Syria, Qtaib Hezbollah in Iraq, Hamas in Gaza, and so forth. You know, when the U.S. was in the middle of the Iraq War, maybe 25 years ago, A colleague of mine was stationed in Iraq, and he told me that Iran was supplying a new kind of weapon to its fighters in Iraq, something called, then it was called, a shaped charge. It's now referred to simply as an EFP, or Explosively Formed Penetrator. And Iran was spreading these weapons around to their militias throughout the country, throughout Iraq, by giving them to the Bedouin who traveled in their caravans from south to north in the summertime, and then from north to south in the wintertime. So they carried these EFPs with them and gave them out to the various militias that they met along the way. These EFPs were deadly because they were pointed, and they could cut through armored vehicles like butter and kill the people inside. Many of the dramatic injuries that our soldiers endured were caused by these deadly inventions. Retired Green Beret Master Sergeant Terry Shepard appeared on the Greg Gutfeld show, and this is what he said. If you're in my community, it's pretty safe to say that you've probably buried someone who was killed by Soleimani. You know, someone who's lost a limb or been catastrophically wounded, and you know a Gold Star family who has been destroyed by this guy. And if you don't care about that, You can care about all the people he's killed over there in Iraq, Syria, Lebanon, his own country. He's murdered and tortured people. Unquote. Soleimani was responsible 
for the development and the proliferation of these weapons that killed and maimed so many of our soldiers. In fact, Soleimani was responsible, according to the U.S. State Department, for the deaths of more than 800 Americans and the wounding, sometimes catastrophic wounding, of thousands more. Now, before I go much further with this, I want to say a few things about the American response to the targeted killing of a terrorist mastermind. As far as I am concerned, the death of Soleimani was long overdue and good riddance. Good riddance. But the Democrats wasted no time in voicing their robust concerns, and Trump dystopia was front and center. Actor Rose McGowan, for example, treated a cringeworthy apology to the Iranians for killing their beloved terrorist-in-chief. And she begged them, please do not kill us. She represents the idiocy of Hollywood, so I'll leave it there. What was most interesting about the other responses from politicians on the left was that they showed their schizophrenia by first saying what a monster Soleimani was and how lucky the world is to be rid of him. And then they said, in so many words, what a horrible person our president is and wouldn't it be nice to be rid of him as well. They blamed him for escalating the situation with Iran and for his total lack of strategic thinking. They were wrong on both counts, by the way, but uh, we'll get to that. Now, for example, Senator and presidential candidate Elizabeth Warren said in a tweet, Soleimani was a murderer responsible for the deaths of thousands, including hundreds of Americans. But, she said, this dangerous move escalates the situation with Iran and increases the likelihood of more deaths and new Middle East conflict. Our priority must be to avoid another costly war, unquote. It seems that it's impossible for Democrats to simply say that the president did a good thing, period. A positive must always be accompanied by a negative. So Democrat Senator from Connecticut, Chris Murphy, said, quote, Soleimani was an enemy of the United States. That's not a question, unquote. Well, that was a good start. But he couldn't just stop there. He had to add this, quote, the question is this. As reports suggest, did America just assassinate, without any congressional authorization, the second most powerful person in Iran, knowingly setting off a potential massive regional war? Unquote. And then there's our good friend, Congressman Adam Schiff, a Democrat from California who serves as chairman of the House Intelligence Committee and who presided over the scandalous and deeply flawed impeachment hearings. He said, quote, Soleimani was responsible for unthinkable violence and the world is better off without him. Wait for it. But Congress didn't authorize and the American people don't want a war with Iran. Unquote. Schiff was so upset because he wasn't informed about the strike prior to its taking place. Do you suppose that he even considered the possibility that, although he is chairman of the House Intelligence Committee and rightfully should have been in on the deliberations before the decision was taken, he was left out of the loop because the president doesn't trust him. He has a history of leaking sensitive information, and he did it throughout the impeachment hearings. Why would the president trust him not to leak this and maybe allow Soleimani to escape? 
In other words, the Democrats' message was that Soleimani was evil and needed to be taken out because he was killing Americans. But at the same time, the president needs to be punished for taking him out because that will cause Iran to keep killing us. Either way, we're killed as far as I can see. Maybe you can explain it to me. And by the way, did you know that in 2015, during the Obama administration, Israel was reported to be, quote, on the verge, unquote, of assassinating Soleimani. That is, until Obama leaked that information to Iran and stopped the operation cold. I wonder how many Americans died since then as a result of Obama pulling the plug on the operation and siding with the enemy. Obama knew because he had kept account that we already lost more than 500 soldiers to the IEDs that the IRGC, under the leadership of Soleimani, was sending to its proxies, and that they were deploying them against our troops in Iraq. Soleimani was responsible for the development of the shaped charges that killed and maimed so many of our young men and women. Now, Unlike Obama, who undermined Israel's plan to assassinate Soleimani in 2015, Trump gave Israel the approval to kill Soleimani if they had the chance to do so. So Soleimani was known to be a threat to American personnel in the Middle East for a very long time. It was not a secret. And yet our so-called leaders denied the threat that he posed for years and refused to do anything about it, and hundreds of our young men and women were killed and maimed as a result. Until this week, when President Trump did something about it. And with the use of three Hellfire missiles, our military ended Soleimani's murderous career and probably saved the lives of hundreds of Americans. But Nancy Pelosi on Saturday night said, quote, Tonight's airstrike risks provoking further dangerous escalation of violence. America and the world cannot afford to have tensions escalate to the point of no return. The administration has conducted tonight's strikes in Iraq without an authorization for use of military force against Iran. This action was taken without the consultation of the Congress. And that brings me to another point. Nancy Pelosi complained that the president should not have carried out this mission without consulting Congress. That's absurd. This is a mission in which seconds counted. There was no time for members of Congress to hash out the issues for hours or days and then to take a vote. We had intelligence that Soleimani was flying from Lebanon to Iraq. When his plane arrived in Baghdad on Thursday evening, he stepped off the plane and was met by senior officers on the ground. And in those pinpointed seconds, the missiles were launched. This was not a declaration of war. This was a targeted strike attack that took out a terrorist leader responsible for the killing and wounding of thousands of our own. So the responsibility for this attack lies with the president who had to make a split-second decision. And based on new intelligence that Soleimani was in process of planning new attacks against our soldiers and civilian personnel, President Trump made the right decision. As I understand the law, the president has to consult with Congress if he wants to declare war. But if he carries out a strike like this, 
He has 48 hours in which to inform Congress. And by the way, Ms. Pelosi, this isn't about you and your power. This is about the national security of the United States. You remember the one you swore an oath to. Another senator candidate, Bernie Sanders, had nothing good to say about the targeted strike. He simply said, quote, Trump's dangerous escalation brings us closer to another disastrous war in the Middle East that could cost us countless lives and trillions more dollars. Trump promised to end endless wars, but this action puts us on the path to another one, unquote. And finally, U.S. Senator and presidential candidate Cory Booker said, quote, We have a president who has no strategic plan when it comes to Iran, and he has made that region less stable and less safe, unquote. In that, of course, he was dead wrong. Words are cheap, and taking a cheap shot at the president without any proof that you know what you're talking about is as cheap as it gets. And he wasn't alone because Joe Biden, who is also running for president, was campaigning in Iowa on the night that Soleimani was killed. And he was asked whether Trump was asking alone or with the support of allies. Biden answers, quote, We have no idea. I have no idea whether he has any plan at all. It just seems to me that he's going off on a tweet storm on his own, and it's incredibly dangerous and irresponsible, unquote. What all these supposedly intelligent people seem determined to avoid acknowledging is that we, the Americans, were not the initiators of this latest confrontation. It was Iran, Soleimani, who sent the Shiite militia to storm the U.S. Embassy in Baghdad on December 31st. That, my friends, was an act of war. The arithmetic is simple. According to international law, a country's embassy is the sovereign soil of that country, no matter where it is in the world. And so the attack on our embassy in Baghdad was equivalent, under international law, to an attack on our country itself. To put it plainly, Iran was the one to escalate the situation. Trump's response was just that, a response and his retaliation was a strong answer to Iran's act of war. It was based on reliable and actionable intelligence that indicated that the attack on the embassy was only the beginning of a series of deadly attacks that were being planned by Soleimani against American personnel and assets. Without any doubt, Soleimani was an enemy of the American people. His driving ambition was to kill Americans, and his latest enterprise was this series of deadly attacks on Americans throughout the Middle East. His death was America's response to this dangerous plot. On Saturday night, Trump disproved all of the comments of the presidential candidates that implied or stated bluntly that he had no strategic plan. That Saturday night, he explained clearly what his strategic plan was. He said, quote, Under my leadership, American policy is unambiguous to terrorists who harm or intend to harm any American. We will find you. We will eliminate you. I let this serve as a warning that if Iran strikes any Americans or American assets, we have targeted 52 Iranian sites, some at a very high level and important to Iran and the Iranian culture. And those targets, and Iran itself, will be hit very fast and very hard. 
the United States wants no more threats, unquote. That was his strategic plan. The number 52 was symbolic because that was the exact number of American hostages who were taken in the Iranian hostage crisis in 1979. Rioting students captured our embassy in Tehran and held Americans working there hostage for 444 days, more than a year. 52 hostages, 52 targets in our sights. The big question facing us now is what does it mean and what is most likely to happen next? You know, I always tell you that we need to learn from history. Well, history is happening around us right now. And learning from it is what this is all about. Now, I see from the clock that it is time to take a short break so that you can hear from the good people at America Out Loud. But I'm going to be back and we're going to pick up where we left off and talk some more about where this is likely to be going and what is it going to mean in the context of developing history. Spreading the out loud truth from sea to shining sea. AmericaOutloud.com is the voice of liberty and justice for all. The goal is to deliver a message of truth, inspiration, and hope to the world. To unite people from all backgrounds and beliefs in an effort to advance humanity. We are the vision of the voices. Welcome to the new era in communications. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Think back to the last time you felt healthy and energized. The best times of our lives occur when we're at the peak of our health, sleeping better, full of energy and focus. We know that fades with age, and you might be feeling the effects of aging as low energy and poor sleep. But it doesn't have to be that way. There haven't been any nutrition systems designed to rejuvenate our bodies as we get older until now. Healthy Cell Pro is the only multi-nutrient system that impacts the building block of your body, the cell. Created by anti-aging expert and Nobel Prize nominee, Dr. Vincent Giampapa, award-winning Healthy Cell Pro cuts through the complexity of nutrition supplements by simply giving you the purest ingredients, filling dietary gaps to nourish your cells and enhance your quality of life for optimal performance. Visit HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for an exclusive discount or call 844-869-9958. So let's get back to this past week's events. On Saturday, Iranian General Golamali Abu Hamza, who is commander of the IRGC in the southern province of Kerman, which, by the way, was Soleimani's hometown, he warned that, quote, 35 vital U.S. targets in the region, as well as Tel Aviv, are within our reach. The general didn't name any specific targets, but he did refer to the U.S. warships that have been operating in the Strait of Hormuz. That's important because this is a critical but very narrow shipping route that Iran commands both from the water and from its coast. It connects the Persian Gulf with the Gulf of Oman and the Indian Ocean. He said, quote, The Strait of Hormuz is a vital point for the West, and a large number of American destroyers and warships 
cross there, unquote. He really wasn't hiding Iran's intentions, and his remarks were really a um, lightly veiled threat. Only the Strait of Hormuz is not as critical to the United States anymore as it used to be. Since Trump became president in January 2017, the U.S. has become energy independent. And although the amount of oil that passes through the strait, which is an estimated 18 to 20 million barrels of oil, carried on 10 to 40 ships every day. Now that's about 20% of the world's oil. But because the U.S. no longer depends on the Middle East for its oil, the threat impacts other countries far more than it affects us. Nevertheless, the U.S. does have some other vital interests in the region, so what happens next should be of concern to all of us. There are other threats, too, threats against President Trump's own properties in the United States, including his Mar-a-Lago Club resort in Florida and Trump Tower in Manhattan. And these threats came from senior Iranian officials using Twitter to make their point. That is the new language of diplomacy, by the way, Twitter. So while, on the one hand, the pundits in the media continue to rail against the president for what they say he has done so recklessly, the Iranians are threatening to attack American assets not only in the Middle East, but in the U.S. as well. In fact, the president does have a plan, and it's a good one. He has warned Tehran that there is no compromise. If they should continue their plans to attack American interests, and harm American citizens, they will pay dearly. This is not a red line that has no meaning. We've seen that in the past with Obama and Syria. This is a red line that once crossed will rain down fire on Iran. And in the Middle East, such warnings that come from a position of strength are taken very seriously. Now, if you've been wondering about where all this is likely to lead... The future is frankly uncertain. I'll take a stab at it later in this show, but for the moment, there is a strong argument to be made for the fact that while the assassination was definitely called for and needed to be carried out quickly before Soleimani's plot against Americans could be carried out, I still wonder if announcing from the outset that America had been responsible for it was really a good plan. Maybe it should have been better thought out. No doubt we would have been blamed for it, but the element of mystery might have dampened the enthusiasm that the Iranians now have for revenge. But I can tell you this. The Iranian government hasn't been our friend for over 40 years. And as the days go by, its leaders appear to be getting increasingly desperate. Iran's economy is imploding because since the United States put sanctions on Iran's oil industry, Iran has lost about 90% of its oil revenues, and those revenues are what has funded the economy. Now, inflation inside Iran is out of control, and the people are desperate. They are out in the streets demonstrating against the government in cities throughout Iran. Never have demonstrations against the government been so widespread or so violent, at least not since the 1979 revolution. And yet, the funeral of Soleimani brought millions into the street of Iran's major cities. How can we account for that? Well, in the past, Iranians have been, quote, encouraged, unquote, 
to participate in the large demonstrations, usually against the United States and Israel. So they held signs and burned U.S. and Israeli flags and shouted, Death to America! Death to Israel! So how does it work? Well, sometimes the people are paid to come out and sometimes they are, quote, urged, unquote, to do so. In other words, forced to participate. This is how the old Soviet Union used to do it, and this is how Iran does it today. So let me tell you a little bit about the funeral itself. It was a state affair. After Soleimani's death, Iran's supreme leader, the Ayatollah Ali Khamenei, vowed, quote, severe revenge, unquote, against the United States and declared three days of mourning for the fallen terrorist. The funeral was three days long, and according to Iran, millions of people came out and filled the streets as far as the eye could see in order to properly mourn his death. These numbers have not been verified, of course, but Iran used them to mock President Trump. Mohammad Javad Zarif, Iran's foreign minister, who, by the way, was educated in the United States, in California, he tweeted, quote, Have you ever seen such a sea of humanity in your life? At real Donald Trump. Do you still want to listen to the clowns advising you on our region? And do you still imagine you can break the will of this great nation? Unquote. So Soleimani's remains were flown to Tehran for a massive funeral. On Saturday, the red flag of jihad was raised over the mosque in the holy city of Qoms. The raising of the red flag was a symbolic call for global jihad in retaliation for the death of Soleimani. The red represented the spilled blood of Soleimani, whom they claim was unjustly killed, and it called for vengeance. The streets of Iran's major cities were packed with mourners dressed in black, beating their chests, and carrying posters of Soleimani's portrait. They also carried red Shiite flags. Then on Sunday, the streets were packed with people for as far as the eye could see. It was here that the Ayatollah Khamenei prayed over Soleimani's remains at Tehran University. The processions marked the first time that Iran honored a single man with a ceremony in several cities. Not even the Ayatollah Khomeini had such a funeral, although his funeral was reportedly attended by 10 million people. And the frenzy was so great that his body was actually tipped out of the open coffin. Hmm. Then on Monday, Soleimani's remains were taken to the holy city of Qom. There, more massive crowds turned out to pay their respects to the general and shout, Death to America! Then on Tuesday, he was taken to his hometown of Kerma, and he was buried. Now, so who was the man who will take his place? Well, the new Iranian general, who has stepped out of relative obscurity to take over leadership of the country's Revolutionary Guard Corps Quds Force, is Major General Esmael Ghani. Now, almost immediately following the death of Soleimani, he was chosen to take over the leadership of Quds Force, as well as to assume the responsibility for Tehran's proxies across the Middle East. Ghani was a man who was second to Soleimani. Ayatollah Ali Khamenei has called him, quote, one of the most prominent commanders, unquote, in service to Iran. The Quds Force 
is the elite military force. It's made up of 125,000 Revolutionary Guard soldiers. And as leader of this paramilitary organization, Ghani will answer only to Iran's supreme leader, Ayatollah Ali Khamenei. What exactly does the Quds Force do? Well, among other things, it oversees Iran's ballistic missile program. It also has naval forces that patrol the waters of the Strait of Hormuz and the Persian Gulf. And as part of their work, they have shadowed the U.S. Navy ships in these critical waters, and they have carried out missions like planting mines on the hulls of oil tankers, hijacking foreign ships and their crews, and shooting down a U.S. drone. They also work across the region with proxy groups like Hezbollah in Lebanon and Syria, Qtaib Hezbollah in Iraq, and Hamas in Gaza, and Yemen's Houthi rebels, among others. They present an asymmetrical warfare threat against American assets and their regional allies. So Ghani's new role is an important one that will keep him very busy. And like his predecessors, he may prove to be a force to be reckoned with. In 2012, the U.S. Treasury sanctioned him. They specifically described him as having authority over, quote, financial disbursements, unquote, to the proxies affiliated with the Quds Force. The sanctions tied him to a shipment of weapons that were seized in 2010 in Nigeria's port in Lagos. Authorities then broke into 13 shipping containers labeled, quote, packages of glass, wool, and pallets of stone, unquote. They instead found 107 millimeter Katusha rockets, rifle rounds, and other weapons. Israeli officials claimed that the rockets were bound for the terrorists in the Gaza Strip. This was one of several ships loaded with arms that were hidden and sent from Iran via Africa to their proxies in Lebanon and Gaza and intercepted by Israel. In 2012, Ghani was criticized by the U.S. State Department for another reason entirely when he was quoted as saying that, quote, if the Islamic Republic was not present in Syria, the massacre of people would have happened on a much larger scale, unquote. That really stretches the bounds of credibility and reaches the excesses of cynicism because the death toll in Syria was already in excess of more than half a million men, women, and children. Then, in January 2015, Ghani said, quote, The U.S. and Israel are too small to consider themselves in line with Iran's military power. This power has now appeared alongside the oppressed people of Palestine and Gaza in the form of missiles and weapons, unquote. In other words, he was saying that Iran sends missiles and weapons to Palestinians to fight Israel. But we knew that. Now on Friday, three days after Soleimani's death, Ghani made new threats of revenge against the United States. Be patient, he said, and you will see the bodies of Americans all over the Middle East. So, in the meantime, the United States is preparing its defenses against attacks by the Iranian forces. The Iranian leadership has said that they do not want war, but they sure have a funny way of showing it. Military.com reported on Saturday that the amphibious assault ship USS Batan 
had been planning a training exercise in Africa. But that has now been canceled, and the baton is being sent to the Middle East with some 2,200 Marines on board. In addition, 3,000 soldiers from the 82nd Airborne Division at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, are also being deployed to the region. In the meantime, the leader of the Palestinian terrorist group Hamas, Ismail Haniya, went to Tehran to attend the funeral and was asked to address the Iranian mourners. He described Soleimani as, quote, the martyr of Al-Quds, Jerusalem, unquote, and he vowed that Palestinian groups, including Hamas, will follow in Soleimani's footsteps, quote, to confront the Zionist project and the American influence, unquote. Hania's trip to Iran was astonishing. His place of honor on the podium very near the Ayatollah was even more surprising. Iran is a Shia country. Hania's Gaza is Sunni. Does this spell another thawing in the on-again, off-again relationship between Iran and Hamas? The enemy of my enemy is my friend? Maybe. General Hani also stood near his side, along with Iranian President Hassan Rouhani and several other senior Iranian leaders. In other words, for whatever reason, Haniya had a place of honor in the funeral ceremonies while the crowd cried, Death to America! So the old Quds force leader is dead, and his successor is in place. Iran's economy is failing, and yet they are planning new, expensive operations against their enemies. The Iranian people are demonstrating against their government in cities all over the country, and nearly 2,000 of them have been killed in the process by their own government. Yet their government is threatening the United States and Israel with total destruction. And the United States has promised retaliation by the obliteration of 52 critical targets in Iran. Clearly, the Iranian government finds itself between a rock and a hard place. And what they will do next is unknown. But that isn't the only problem facing us. Because Iran's proxies, including Hamas and Hezbollah, are just itching to attack Israel with the force of the IRGC behind them. And if you remember, the president and his secretary of state have promised that they will have Israel's back. Iran is led by men who have limited touch with reality, and they are a different kind of enemy that we do not understand. They do not think like us. Their view of reality is totally different from ours. Logic as we know it doesn't enter into their calculations. In short, they are fanatics. They have no fear of the consequences, and therefore they offer us no leverage. In their religious ideology, Chaos is not to be feared or avoided. Chaos is what will hasten the coming of their Messiah. So in the interest of moving this process along, Iran is about to take delivery of three small 10 kiloton fusion bombs from North Korea. These bombs are small enough to fit on their slender, medium-range missiles. And they are a serious new wrinkle in an already complicated and dangerous situation. You know, ever since 9-11, the threat of terrorism has been hanging over our heads like a sword of Damocles. But in the years in between, then and now, the threat has slowly faded. 
It hasn't gone away completely, and every once in a while it comes back to haunt us in the form of an isolated attack on a concert, a school, a park, a bicycle path, or a nightclub. Terrorism comes in many forms, too. A mass shooting, a knife attack, a car or truck ramming, an explosion. Terrorists don't have to be religious fanatics. But that is what was in play on 9-11, and that is what is in play today in Iran. Now, I don't know about you, but I have very little patience or sympathy for terrorists, and Soleimani was one of the worst. And as I said before, I think President Trump made the right call. Well, it's that time again, so I'm going to take a short break, and when I come back, I want to talk about the future in light of the new situation with Iran and what it holds for America, for Israel, and for the rest of the world. So stay right there. I'll be right back. I'm Dr. Ron Martinelli. And I'm Linda Martinelli. As former law enforcement officers, we know that your life and the lives of those you love and work with can change in an instant when you encounter an active shooter. Unfortunately, in today's world of uncertainty, encountering an armed active shooter can have deadly consequences. That's why the key to survival is training and preparedness. And that's why we want to invite our listeners to seriously consider taking our response to active shooter training course. Violence can happen to you anytime and anywhere and when you least expect it. Having a response and survival plan and engaging it can be the difference between life and death for you or a family member. Our response to active shooter courses are customized for the corporate, school, church, restaurant, and small business environment at a reasonable budget that fits your needs. So don't put this life-saving training off because you don't think it will ever happen to you. We call those people victims. Our response to active shooter instructors are all nationally renowned tactical law enforcement experts who will guide you through the life-saving protocols you'll need to survive an active shooter event. So be a victor, not a victim. Go to responsetoactiveshooter.com to learn more today. Remember, that's all one word, responsetoactiveshooter.com, and be safe out there. It's your news and entertainment network. News blogs, informative podcasts, entertaining videos, or listen to 24-7 Talk Radio. On our free apps on Apple, Android, or Alexa. We the people, AmericaOutloud.com is the voice of liberty and justice for all. Welcome to the new era in communications. America Out Loud Talk Radio. So... Now we move on to the aftermath of the attack that killed Qasem Soleimani. I'm going to begin with a report about a maritime alert that was sent out at the beginning of the week and about the deployments that accompanied it. Early Tuesday morning, the State Department, the Department of Defense, and the Maritime Administration sent out maritime warnings to all U.S. ships in the eastern Mediterranean, the Gulf of Oman, the Persian Gulf, and the Red Sea warning that there is a possibility of Iranian action against U.S. maritime interests. And America is taking no chances. We currently have some 5,200 military in Iraq, and over the last few months we have positioned two battle groups in the region patrolled by the 5th Fleet, 
that's responsible for naval forces in the Persian Gulf, the Red Sea, the Arabian Sea, and parts of the Indian Ocean. And in the last week, America has also repurposed the USS Bataan from an exercise in the Mediterranean to the region, deployed 3,000 more troops, 52 F-35s, 8 B-52s, and probably much more to deal with the crisis now rising in the Middle East. President Trump is getting a lot of flack for what the left thinks was an unnecessary and dangerous action when he ordered the killing of Soleimani. But make no mistake about it, Soleimani was a vicious terrorist and he was obsessed with killing Americans. The question I have is this, how much is too much? How many Americans does a man have to kill before he becomes too much of a threat to leave standing? Soleimani was responsible for the murder of 603 of our young men and women and for the wounding with sometimes horrific injuries of thousands. And he was in the process of planning more. He was always planning more. So yes, it was the right time. It was the right action. And it was the right president. But it wasn't easy. When President Trump was faced with the possibility of taking out such a terrible, evil terrorist. He was faced with an impossible choice. He would be damned if he did by people who thought he had abused his power and was leading us into a new war of retaliation. And he would be damned if he didn't by people who thought he was soft on terrorism and that by not killing Soleimani when he had the chance led us into even more terrible attacks in the future. So the thing we have to consider is that the president had an opportunity. When the Israelis had such an opportunity in 2015, and they lost it because President Obama leaked it to the Iranians, the Israelis never had another chance. But on January 2nd, President Trump had an opportunity to take out this man who had been responsible for so many American deaths and mutilations and had just sent a large militia to storm the U.S. Embassy. The president... He only had minutes or even seconds to decide. He didn't have time to consult with Congress, even if he trusted them all. And he barely had time to consult with his inner circle. There was a very small window of opportunity that he had in order to accomplish this mission. So he decided. And before very long, the world was free of another terrorist. Done. One thing we can argue about is whether we should have taken credit for the operation right away because we really did not know what we were up against in the immediate or longer-range future in terms of a response. Would Soleimani's successor be worse than he was? That's difficult to imagine, since he was the one who flooded Iraq with the shaped charges that killed over 600 of our soldiers. But the question remains, will Iran become completely unhinged? Will their new nukes provide them with the excuse to use them? Will they do something really stupid or really, really dangerous? Well, the answer is, it seems, yes. They didn't try to use the nukes yet, but on Tuesday night, they began a new offensive by firing 15 Fatah-1 missiles at two military camps in Iraq, where Americans were staying. Iran targeted Camp Erbil and Camp Al-Assad, and the early report suggested that although there were some serious casualties, none of them were Americans. We don't know what's going to happen next, 
But Iran has poked a sleeping tiger. And although until now, President Trump has been extremely restrained, given the efforts of the Iranian government to prod him into war, that is changing fast. And it's changed with the attacks on the two camps. It looks like the Iranians are panicking, that they are striking out hysterically and relatively ineffectively, and it won't take much for the Iranians to goad President Trump just a little too far. They're burning their bridges. In Syria, where Soleimani worked directly with President Bashar Assad, the Russians were working with the Iranians and with the Syrians. Like Iran, Russia has coveted the Mediterranean port of Latakia. But as the conflict between the United States and Iran reignites, so is the growing conflict between Iran and Russia. And Syrian President Bashar Assad is closer to the Iranians than he is to the Russians. He prefers the Iranian influence to that of the Russians. And he has made that very clear. So the split seems to be growing as a result of Soleimani's death. Assad, too, is burning his bridges. He sent a representative to Iran to pay condolences for the death of Soleimani, and he has also begun to ratchet up public sentiment against Israel, again. And he is turning his back on Russia. So as the Middle East continues to heat up, let's get back to the United States, where other bridges are being burned. Something that, something that bothers me very much is the lack of situational awareness that is being demonstrated by the Democrats, whose hatred of the president is so great that they don't seem to understand that the constant criticism of Trump in the public media is also putting the country in danger. And in fact, it seems that they hate Donald Trump more than they love their country. Do they disagree with his decisions regarding the killing of Soleimani? Of course they do, and that's okay. But this is what we used to call airing our dirty laundry in public. And to the Iranian leadership, who would never permit this in their own country, it makes the United States look weak. And that gives them motive to rattle their sabers and aim their weapons. The Democrats are looking more and more like they are in a state of panic. Their efforts to impeach the president have failed, and their tactics are looking more and more amateurish and stupid. We are facing the terrible possibility of another war, one that we didn't ask for or want. It was forced on us by a pack of re relentless religious zealots who have taunted us and attacked us in every way possible. But the president is looking clearly at the facts on the ground. He is ignoring the abuse being heaped on him by the Democrats, as he has been ignoring the taunts from Iran. His greatest weapon until now has been Twitter, and he's been using it and enjoying it. I think that's one of the things that keeps him going and has enabled him to withstand all of the blows from his enemies abroad and his enemies at home. But over the last few months, he has also strengthened America's presence in the region, which is to say in the Middle East. In addition to the troops already in Iraq, the president has ordered an additional 3,000 troops into the region. And following an impressive elephant walk of 52 F-35 fighter jets at their home base in Utah, 
All 52 were deployed, fully armed, to the Middle East. 78 of these advanced fighter planes have been stationed at Hill, and 220 are deployed around the world. An elephant walk, by the way, refers to the close formation of military aircraft before takeoff, and the picture of 52 of these amazing aircraft creeping along the runway in formation, and then, one by one, launching into the sky, was truly impressive. And although that exercise was planned for months, the timing couldn't have been better, coming on the heels of the Iranian escalation and the death of Soleimani. It served as a warning to Iran that another component of the United States military was coming to their neighborhood. And in addition to these jet fighters from Hill, the U.S. also deployed six B-52s. Now these are long-range, subsonic, jet-powered strategic bombers. Each of these massive planes has eight engines and is designed to carry a large cache of weapons, including cruise missiles, conventional bombs, laser-guided bombs, and nuclear gravity bombs. Boeing, which manufactures the B-52, calls it the most combat-capable bomber in the U.S. inventory. So after Oman was reported to have refused the U.S. permission to land these planes there, they were sent to Diego Garcia, a small island off the western coast of India. Here they would be out of range of Iran's missiles, but within its own range of operations. The president is making some powerful decisions in these days and in the days to come that may change the face of the world as it was last week. He will not accept a world in which a raving mad bully is happy to kill wantonly and blame the ensuing chaos on the victim. Trump refuses to allow the United States to be a victim, and he refuses to see the United States shamed or defeated. The Iranians have chosen the wrong time to take on the United States and the wrong president to challenge. In a press conference on Tuesday morning, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo told the room full of reporters who asked what the president is going to do. He said, quote, if the Iranians continue to make bad choices, the president will continue to respond as he has, unquote. But since the death of Soleimani, and because of it, Iran is supercharged for revenge. And as a result, the president has the capacity to authorize a strong response to the missile attacks against Americans. In fact, he said that if Iran was going to continue to attack United States interests and personnel, he promised that the response would be disproportionate. And here's what I say. If Iran tries to take on the United States and the President of the United States, the regime in Tehran will no doubt regret that they have taken on the strongest nation in the world. And all the President said he did not want war, if the moment comes when war is inevitable, he will do whatever is necessary. You know, despite his occasional silliness and a tendency to use his Twitter account to let off inappropriate steam, I believe that President Donald J. Trump will be seen through the prism of history as one of our greatest presidents, and America will be richer for it. You know, it's crazy, but the stories coming out of the Middle East 
have been so all-consuming on the news that I've managed to almost fill up the time I have with you talking about it. This won't be the last time the subject comes up for sure. I guarantee. But I'd like to spend the last few minutes with you talking about something a little lighter. Hey, have you noticed the big dip in the stock market after the Iran thing developed? No? Neither did I. Obviously, the people who trade in stocks are not taking this all very seriously. Sure, it went down a little bit. But when the Dow Jones Index is over 28,583 and the S&P is over 9,000, that's a big deal. And you know, when the Dow, for example, goes down 150 points, that would be a big deal if the Dow was at, let's say, 10,000. But it's at 28,500. 150 points is nothing. The funny thing is that gold and silver, which are usually hedges against the stock market, are not behaving normally either. Which is to say, when the market is down, gold and silver are usually up. But that's not happening either. Gold and silver are both up. So what's the deal? Listen, my friends, the economy is booming. There are more jobs than people to fill them. Unemployment for minorities is the lowest in history. Salaries are up. Real gross domestic product increased in all 50 states. So are you buying into all that garbage that the Democrat candidates are feeding you about how bad the economy is and how we are all suffering? I'm not suffering. Heck, I'm not a millionaire. Not even close. But I'm not suffering. Life is good. I don't know about you, but those tax cuts really helped. So here's what I suggest. It's not enough to talk a good game, but the primaries are coming up. And so when it's time to get out and vote, just do it. That's what America is all about. If you're happy with how America is going under this president, then don't let him down. You know what to do. Just do it. Get out there and vote. And bring your neighbors, too. Okay. Have you ever visited the Babylon Bee website? That's B. B-E-E. Babylon Bee. It's at BabylonBee.com. If you like satire, it's worth a visit. Its slogan is, quote, Fake news you can trust. Delivered straight to your inbox. Unquote. And they make it up as they go along. This is clearly a satirical website. Here are some of their most recent headlines. For example, Iran announces they will stop pretending to follow nuclear deal. Or, how about, Iran declines to sign Colin Kaepernick after reviewing workout video. And, here's another, Democrats grasping at straws now regret banning straws. (laughs) But the funniest thing is how satire turned real. CNN actually attacked Babylon Bee for publishing a story about the Democrats' reactions to the goings-on in Iran. The story that made CNN so angry was a satirical piece called Democrats Call for Flags to be Flown at Half-Mast to Grieve Death of Soleimani, unquote. CNN didn't like it. Hey, it's satire, guys. It made fun of the reaction that many liberals and others on the left have had to the killing of the Iranian, oh, what was he? A terrorist. And here's another one. Hey, 
Do you remember when the Washington Post had a headline about the killing of Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi? He was the evil leader of ISIS? The Post called him, in their obituary, they called him an austere religious scholar at helm of Islamic State. Austere religious scholar, he was scum. Well, anyway, they did it again. The Post, they didn't learn. You know, learning from history is what we always talk about, but they didn't. Because they came up with another headline about Soleimani. They called him a most revered military leader. They didn't even know they were committing satire. Well, for the rest of us who actually think there is some merit to satire, my favorite headline from Babylon B was directed at CNN for their criticism of that article. For their criticism of that article. This new headline was, quote, CNN, the internet is only big enough for one fake news site. You can't make this stuff up. Well, that's it for today, my friends. The clock has run out. Thank you for spending this hour with me. I hope you'll join me again next week. Have a good week, and God bless. You've been listening to the news magazine on the America Out Loud Network. I'm Alana Friedman, and this has been the Friedman Report. 